Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone, and this week we're going to be reviewing the 2014 American horror film As Above, So Below. Uh, this is a film that is written and directed by John Eric Dowdle and stars Perdita Weeks and Edwin Hodge. Um, Brian, I picked this one because it's been on my uh, to-watch list for a while on Netflix in the queue, and I know it's been on there for a while, but it's had very low Rotten Tomatoes uh, reviews, so I haven't really been too motivated to see it. Had you heard about this one before? I had heard about this, and I feel like I had heard good things about it, but um, I don't know if I was confusing it with another movie or or what, but I, you know, I actually found this on a list of top 10 found footage movies from... There's a website and a podcast called Nightmare on Film Street. Oh, cool. This is one of the top uh, 10 ever, like, best handheld footage movies? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I have mixed feelings about Rotten Tomatoes. Part of me is like, take it with a grain of salt, and then part of me is like, most of the time it it does kind of get it. Yeah, I actually had the same reaction because I, I think I was reading some articles uh, a week or two ago and this movie was mentioned. And from what I could tell, like a lot of the viewers actually liked it. Uh, like the audience uh, generally like thought this was a pretty smart movie. When you look at like on Netflix or on Amazon, what the reviews are, like people who've seen it like call it like a pretty smart movie. So I, I, I do think there's like a mismatch between the general audience and uh, the critics ratings. And maybe that's, you know, something to do with the way Rotten Tomatoes scores movies. Yeah, and there can even be a difference between like Rotten Tomatoes user scores and Netflix or Letterboxd user scores. Yeah, true. Yeah, this one definitely uh, went higher with viewers. So yeah, I thought it was worth checking out. And yeah, you mentioned it's a handheld footage movie. Um, So the story is uh, it's about a documentary crew that's trying to find uh, the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone in the catacombs of Paris. Um, and it had been a while since I feel like we've seen a handheld uh, footage film. Uh, I, was, I was kind of surprised to see this. I mean, what, what was the last one that we saw? It's also been a while since I've heard them called f- handheld footage films. What do you, what do you call <laughs> fact, it? Found? I've never <laughs> found footage, yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know, you, you got to imply like where, where the, what part of the body is shooting the film, you know? So compared to... <laughs> There's a whole other subgenre of people filming with their feet. Yeah, <laughs> the feet found footage. <laughs> that's just called footage found footage yeah. <laughs> nice yeah found foot footage yeah um i think once an episode you you come up with some crazy name for something <laughs> and i love yeah. it yeah I but uh yeah we we used to do before we actually started this podcast and we were just doing this for our own benefit we did a ton of found footage movies but we have not done one for the podcast yet uh, yeah I, I, like i would say the closest was probably um that movie from a few weeks ago, the, the really lo-fi one. Yeah, uh, Interior. Interior, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I just feel like as a genre, maybe this uh, the found footage genre isn't pumping out what it used to. I feel like you know a few years ago, it was almost like every other movie was a found footage film. But uh, It was all the rage for a while, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think those have kind of phased out, right? It does seem like we're seeing a little bit less of them. Yeah, with like Paranormal Activity being wrapped up. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like the you know the, the the franchises that are around still, or the new movies coming out, it's it's rare that you see a found footage film anymore. Yeah, and for the uh, listeners that are just horror curious and don't actually watch a lot of horror movies, found footage just means that 
basically you're watching a movie that is filmed by the characters in the movie. So it's kind of rough and choppy. Like it's, as Ashwin said, like somebody had a handheld camera and was filming what was happening to them. So yeah. Blair Witch Project is the most prominent example. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's like the pioneer of this genre. I'm sure there were some before that too, but I feel like that really set the stage for this format of movies. Yeah, I've seen it dated back to at least 1980 with the movie Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, interesting. And there are some other ones between that and Blair Witch, but Blair Witch was really the one that kind of cracked the genre open and made it popular. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Blair Witch is hugely impactful. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the director for this, John Eric Dowdle, uh, I saw he's actually done some, you know, movies that I, I, I think, you know, that, that we've liked in the past, like Quarantine. Uh, you saw that one, right? You know, I actually never saw Quarantine. I saw Wreck, the oh. Spanish version. It was originally a Spanish movie called Wreck, and then Quarantine was the U.S. remake. Yeah, right. Which I, I thought for a remake, it was pretty decent. And then Yeah, I've heard it was good. Yeah. Uh, he also did the movie Devil, which was an M. Night Shyamalan story. Did you ever see that one? I never saw that one, no. Uh, it's it's a kind of a good one. It was when M. Night Shyamalan was like in the trash with his reputation, but uh, it, was, it was just a really cool premise where everyone's like in an elevator and someone's the devil. So it was just very cool, kind of, you know, small uh, cast, minimal location. Oh, movies. okay. I remember that now. Yeah. Or at least I, I didn't see it, but I remember hearing about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a little on the radar. Um, but yeah, so it sounds like he's he's been in the horror f- uh, industry for a while. Um, did you recognize any of the cast members in this? And he's wait, was Devil a found footage? I don't think so. No. Okay, uh, he also did Poughkeepsie tapes, which is another found footage that gets on a lot of lists. Is yeah, or mentions as one of the better ones. You're right. Yeah, Poughkeepsie tapes and in quarantine also, I guess, is a found footage one. So maybe that's his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wonder, wonder how he's feeling these days about what to do now. Did you recognize any of the cast in it? I didn't really, but um, Ben Feldman, who was uh, George, apparently he was in Cloverfield. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was like the boyfriend of uh, the, of the, the girl, right? Yeah, and then that, that kind of added up once I read that. And he was also in the 2009 remake of Friday the 13th. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's, he's someone I haven't recognized until recently. Have you ever seen this show called Superstore? Mm-mm. Ah, uh, man, it's a show on, I don't know, NBC, ABC, one of those. And it's it's pretty great, really diverse cast, like pretty funny. Uh, and and he's a prominent character on that. So I, I it was kind of cool to see him in this horror film versus, you know, what I'm used to seeing in, in this comedy. Nice. Um, but yeah, the, otherwise, I, I think the main actress is from The Tudors. <laughs> from Tudors? Yeah, the two, two of the doors, not the, not the one door. Yeah, the Tudors. <laughs> Uh, which do you, do you watch that show? No, I've never seen that show. I don't think I'd ever heard of it until we started doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, trying to figure out how many doors are involved in that. <laughs> yeah, because somebody we watched something with somebody from Tudors. At yeah, one point. yeah, you're right. This is like the second time we've had to run into that show. So the, the you know this movie was shot in the catacombs, which it's cool because you know we saw My Bloody Valentine, which they shot down in a mine. Um, and, and this, I think, is like such a cool setting to actually go into the catacombs. Were you even aware that these existed in Paris? I did not know that, no. But it's pretty badass. Kind of want to go into them. Yeah. 
who would have thought like under Paris is like this huge tunnel of like just like a, a graveyard under the city. And I, you know, I've, I've been there once or twice and no one's ever mentioned that. And this is way cooler than like half the things people go there to see, like the Louvre or the Notre Dame. I mean, the, who cares about that stuff? This is, this is actually a lot cooler. Yeah. Eiffel Schmeifel. Yeah. Seriously. It's just, <laughs> it's just the tower. I've seen a lot of those. Um, but yeah, so the, I thought that was a cool aspect of this film, like bringing that, uh, awareness of this thing that's under the city of Paris and it, it actually being shot down there. I thought added an element of, uh, cool, uh, atmosphere, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to ho- go ahead and do this now. Did you know that there's a deserted underground subway beneath Cleveland? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think I knew that. That's I, I never knew it either, but I, I saw some photos of it online. Apparently it's been out of operation since the mid fifties. Wow. And, uh, can you still like walk down there? I think every once in a while they open it up for tours. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of those abandoned things like you'd want to highlight. I, I think people would be really into those as long as it didn't yeah. collapse. Yeah, some free money, essentially. Yeah, exactly. As long as like the gates of hell aren't uh, buried under there with it. Sure, got to verify that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the catacombs, uh, I guess they have like 6 million people buried in there. And uh, in it, Paris, the city built it when they were running out of graveyard space or like some of their cemeteries were collapsing. So just pretty, pretty interesting that they had that problem of too many dead people and nowhere to put them. So they just built them underground. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's going to become, unless people start getting cremated way more often, that's going to become a problem everywhere. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to run out of space for that. have to go underground. Yep. Um, I think this film was released directly to DVD, uh, unless, I don't know, could you tell if it had a, any theatrical release or anything? I read that it had, uh, it actually made $42 million at the box office. Yeah, I saw that too. So does that definitely mean that it was in theaters? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. It's not the, uh, not the home box office. <laughs> Did you know that's what HBO stands for? No, no, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it made it made 21.2 million in North America and basically that same amount in other territories. Oh, okay. For, on a 5 million dollar budget. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty good actually. So it's not a bad amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, so this, this is kind of like a low budget film that that performed pretty well, I guess then. Yeah. Um this movie I think also ref- references and I think for those who are more intimately familiar with uh this concept uh dante's inferno so that that was like some kind of book i guess that detailed hell is that your understanding of it yeah it was a very long poem by dante Alighieri. oh Uh, can't remember what century that was written in maybe like the 15th century he's an italian Mm -hmm. poet um yeah and so it was just called inferno but everyone calls it dante's inferno and yeah they like reference the hell out of that poem yeah yeah, I feel like the plot I line. almost wish I was like some sort of literary scholar. I think I would have appreciated the movie more. I know. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like the whole plot's like kind of based off of that, uh, the description of uh, Inferno that Dante's put out there. Yeah. I tried to read that once and I just couldn't get through it. It's How long of a poem is it? Uh, I mean, it is like a book. Oh, it's a... But it's written in a in the format of a poem. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds fascinating. I mean, I, I wonder where he got the material from to be able to succinctly describe hell the way that it's represented in this. I'll have to look yeah. into the backstory there. I don't know where the hell he got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other 
uh, interesting background on this? Um, not really. Um, just because we were teasing the listeners and talking about Rotten Tomatoes, but never had said the numbers. Yeah. It's got a 25% critic rating and a 39% user. Yeah. Which is kind of par for like horror films, right? It's, you know, I was noticing when I was doing some research for this, I think found footage films, especially found footage horror films, did not get very good ratings. Yeah. Yeah. I think the genre right. gets a lot of hate. Yeah, I, th- I think people see it as kind of formulaic or uh, maybe the scares are kind of like done over and over again. Um, I, I don't know. Like, how, yeah, how, how do you reinvent that, that genre? How do, how do you, I, I guess because the cameraman is the actors uh, or whatever. And so, you know, you're, you're kind of seeing things from their perspective. So you're kind of like cutting out, um, you know, the ability to be artistic from the uh, like the camera angle side, right? Yeah, it does limit some of the shots that you can capture to an extent. Right. Um, One thing I noticed with this movie that I think maybe had an effect on my viewing experience was you really can't ever get the, like, all-knowing third eye. Yeah. And you can't, like, the all-seeing eye. You can't get all the characters in one shot. Right. You can't really follow a character. I don't know. There are just some things that you can do with a camera that's almost like a language of films that communicates things to the viewer, even though you can't necessarily articulate that something's being communicated to you at the moment. For sure, yeah. And when you don't have that, the movie misses something. Because I will agree with Rotten Tomatoes to an extent. Found footage is not one of my favorite subgenres. I think maybe you'd like it a little bit better than I do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I but, think it can be scarier than other subgenres, but it, I don't think the movies as a whole are better. Yeah, well, so yeah, w- with that whole approach, like the reality of it or the, the the realness of it, like feels augmented because you're kind of getting like that tunnel vision of like a person seeing it, like before you know, in front of their eyes, how they would see it. Um, but you're right, you're kind of missing that third objective camera that like can add in like more of like gives the director more control like different angles they want to show or different kind of things they want to do or focus on um i think some of that control is given up when you move for this format yeah indeed yeah i mean i i like the paranormal activity series and uh i thought taking up deborah logan again was a really good uh found footage film i mean i I think there are like some good successes out there but there are good ones yeah i mean blair witch project's one of my favorite horror movies but yeah it it seems like there's also a lot of found footage (laughs) uh mediocrity out there as well yeah yeah i think you're right for sure definitely uh it probably more veers on more on on the bad side because i think probably everyone feels like they can make their own found footage film and just have everyone putting something out there yeah, but then, like, how many of those are filmed with somebody's feet, you know? you got to give them credit. <laughs> yeah, I know. How much are true found footage versus handheld? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. All right, cool. Anything else? Um, I would just say that before I found that underground subway system in Cleveland, there's a Dante's, Dante's Inferno restaurant in the flats in Cleveland, and there's also a Northeast Ohio bakery called As Above, So Below. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. This one has a bunch of Northeast connections. I thought that Dante's <laughs> Inferno's was in Tremont. It's in, it's in the flats? I read it was in the flats, but who knows? Maybe there are two locations. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check on that. I've, I feel like I've walked by that place, and I've always wondered if I should check it out. It, it looks kind of cool. Um, the, the bakery called as above, so below looked really good. It looks like it's kind of a internet ordering thing and then you get them delivered to you. Oh, cool. 
That's I'm all. Tempted to get something. Yeah. Um, what? And can you remind us where does the phrase "as above, so below"? I, I know they kind of talked about it, like the meaning of it in the movie. Something to do with like something around uh, heaven and hell, right? Oh God, yeah. I don't remember the full background on it, but it was basically um, part of it. Being raised Catholic, I noted noted that it was um, kind of mentioned in the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. like on heaven as it is. Oh God, I can't even remember. <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, okay. So the blow is earth. It's not hell. Yeah, correct. Okay, correct. The below means earth. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I thought it was some kind of mirror thing where uh, heaven and hell are like the same thing. But that, I think your version makes a lot more sense. Every once in a while on Twitter, uh, people play these silly little games and they all say like, your penis is, your penis or vagina is named after the last movie you saw go. Uh-huh. And I had just seen As Above, So Below, so <laughs> I felt I had oh, to type that one in. That's really good, actually. Good name to land on. <laughs> yeah. Much better than some of the other names that we've seen. <laughs> It's not, not my bloody Valentine, I guess. Oh, God. <laughs> Good timing on that one. <laughs> on that note. Yeah. So let's take a break. Um, I got to go stop by uh, the bar down the street because every once in a while people come there to look for me uh, and it's around that time. So I'll be right back. All right. All right, Brian, we're back. Yeah, you want to explain yourself? Oh, you know, uh, sometimes like people are, are like you know out and about, and they're like, oh, you know, I want to meet up with Ashvin. Where is he? And so I, I think people on the street just say, oh, he's at this bar at eight o'clock every day. And usually that's where I go to get my messages and check with people to you know just make sure I can be be reachable. You know, you don't have that kind of system. I don't know. Not only do I not have that kind of system, but I don't even know what part of the movie you're referencing. Oh, <laughs> the part, the part where they uh, meet up with a uh, Papillon. What's that guy's name? Yeah, Pap. Pap. Yeah. Uh, remember, like they're they're like, oh, how are we gonna get there? And this one guy's like, oh, you gotta go talk to Pap. You can find him at this club. And oh, yeah. sure enough, they go to the club, and he's hanging out there. It's like, wow, he's like holding office hours or something. Is that like a that's a good good catch, man. For some reason, that was just like, uh huh, yeah, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. you can find him at this club. Yeah, all right, find me at the club. <laughs> it's Pat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that the, that's how you know where to find people. Yes. Uh, so yeah, uh, so the plot here is very much like National Treasure ish or like Da Vinci Code ish. Did you get that vibe? Oh yeah, they lay that on pretty thick. Yeah, yeah, like right off from the beginning, and, and then the scares kind of pick up uh, as, as the movie goes. So it, it kicks off, we're introduced to Scarlett, she's this uh, young woman who's traveling through Iran, uh, she's trying to find something called a Philosopher's Stone, which I totally thought they were just talking about something from Harry Potter, I, I didn't realize it was also uh, something that exists outside of that movie. Were, were you aware of that? No, I thought that was definitely just a Harry Potter thing. Yeah, I was like, ah, oh, this millennial like watched Harry Potter, and I was like devoting her life to it. But uh, apparently it's a stone that turns things into gold, right? Like all metals into gold. It's like alchemy. Yep. Yeah. And I think can grant eternal life to the person who finds it. Oh, cool. That's pretty nice. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess we, we, we do see some of that happening. So she's in Iran. She's looking for the stone. She uh, is in a cave that's, like, collapsing, and she, like, runs into this uh, artifact that uh, is basically kind of like a Rosetta Stone, like a translator thing, which she's like, oh, I can use this to put together other clues. And she gets out of the cave right before it collapses. On her way out, though, she sees, like, a figure of a person hanging. And at this point, you know that her dad passed away, so I think... You kind of assume that uh, maybe that was like a ghost of her dad or something. Did did you pick up on that? Yeah, I had no idea what that was about. Oh, you just thought it was like random that, that there's like a body hanging there? Yeah, like I, I couldn't piece together why it was there. Yeah, and they never really went back and explained that either until like later you see that same figure, but at, at, she never brings up the point that she saw that earlier on. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, so she goes back to Paris, and uh, while she's there, she hires a cameraman named Benji, and she finds an old friend named George, uh, who, like, I guess they used to partner with and work with in the past. Um, and she, like, get, gets him to, like, help her kind of, like, decode some Da Vinci Code-style stuff where they go into, like, a museum and, like, looking at tabloids and, like, you know, deciphering all this hidden code. And eventually they figure out that the Philosopher's Stone is hidden under the city of Paris in, in the catacombs under this one person's grave. Um, so pretty pretty interesting detective work. It's, it was kind of a stretch. I don't know how you felt about this whole part. Um, it felt like kind of really typical, like, ah, oh, this, this means this, or, and that's, et cetera. Yeah, it just it wasn't super engaging to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this whole movie is like kind of watching someone like get out of an escape room. Have, have you ever been in one of those? No, but God, I want to so bad. Ah, really? Man, it's frustrating if you don't know what you're doing at all, which is my yeah, case. Yeah, I'm sure that would just get frustrated. Yeah, though I could see you being really good at it. We should do that sometime. Um, so yeah, so they they think they know where the Philosopher's Stone is. It's in the catacombs. Um, but when they get in the catacombs, they realize that the part it's in isn't available to the public. So they're like, shoot, how are we going to get there? At this point, a mysterious figure is like, oh, you should look for Pappy. He hangs out at this club. Uh, you can go find him there. So sure enough, they head over to the club. Pappy is there, um, and he's like, "Yeah, fine, I'll take you down there." Once he hears like that, there might be treasure there, and him and his two friends, uh, you know, three other Parisians, um, take uh, Scarlet, George, and Benji into the catacombs uh, through like this back entrance that like you know no one really knows of. So as they go into these tunnels, um, you know, things start to get kind of creepy. Uh, there's like this cult, like that's hanging out in like this one room in the tunnels that are like underground, like in this cave, just like singing. Which I thought that was kind of a scary visual, like one of the scary ones in the movie. Uh, what, what, did you see, did you, that jump out to you at all? Yeah, that was pretty creepy. I would have turned around at that point. Yeah, I know, but they just kind of like walk by, they're like, oh, that's just like a normal thing that happens down here. Yeah, like, oh, there are other people down here. <laughs> yeah, and they do all this crazy shit. <laughs> They were, like, uh, naked, chanting women. Yeah. That's probably something you probably should have stopped and looked at a little bit more. <laughs> and, yeah. And gotten out of there. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they're crawling through these tunnels. Uh, at some point, they get trapped. And the only way they can go is through this one way that, like, Pappy's being like, no one, we shouldn't go that way because that's, like, an evil way. Anyone who's gone that way has never made it back. But now they're trapped, and that's, like, the only way they can go. So they go that way. And as they get into there, they, they run into some dude that Pappy used to know who got lost, you know, like years ago because he had gone that way. And he's just hanging in this tunnel. And you can tell, like, there's something messed up about him. Like, he's not right. He's been living in the this tunnel for, like, years. I mean, he's, he's probably uh, like a demon or something at this point or like a lost soul or something. Um, 
So yeah, so uh, they're trapped in this tunnel, and, and they realize, and, and this figure tells them that the only way to get out is you have to keep going downwards, which you know, if, I, I you know, I think as a viewer, you're like, you're, you're kind of you're feeling some of the claustrophobia of like them being trapped in these tunnels and the fact that they have to keep going down and down to you know find some kind of escape. Yeah, the found footage aspect combined with the fact that they're actually in these catacombs does really generate some claustrophobia. Yeah, that was a really effective combination, I think. It's good. Yeah, there's a scene where Benji gets stuck and he's having like a panic attack. And that's for me when the movie went from like pretty boring and uh, lame to like, oh, okay, like I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty intense scene. And like the camera's right on him and you can see him just like freaking out because he's like trapped. And, yeah. and just, like, having a, a panic attack on it. Yeah, that was when, like, the second act started to pick up for me. Yeah, yeah. So so now, you know, they, they're wandering through these, uh, like, deeper into the catacombs. Things are getting creepier. At some point, they hear, like, a phone ringing, and they find, like, a, a random phone line down there, and they, they pick it up, and she hears, like, the voice of her dead father on it. Um, George, like, finds a piano, like, from his childhood that's down there, and, like, he sees, like, his brother uh, in the water who, like, drowned a long time ago. So they're just like seeing, you know, some disturbing stuff from their past popping up. Eventually, they do find a room with uh, the philosopher's stone, and it has some treasure. Um, but as they break in to get the treasure, the room collapses. So again, they're stuck, but they have the philosopher's stone now. Um, so they have to keep going deeper and deeper into the uh, the catacombs. Um, eventually, they come like to this entrance that has this sign that says "As above, so below." Uh, from is that from the Bible, Brian? Uh, I can't remember. It's something religious, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then they enter this tunnel that has a sign that says, Abandon all hope, uh, ye who enter. Which I think, according to Dante's Inferno, is the thing you read before, like what it says above the gates of hell, I guess. Correct, yep. Um, I, so we need to verify that. Um, so then, you know, they crawl in. So now, you know, they're basically in hell. Uh, but it still looks like the catacombs. But uh, at this point, I think people start getting killed. So, um, you know, the strange guy they found down there suddenly, like, takes on this d- demonic, uh, you know, look to him and kills one of the friends of Poppy. Uh, Poppy sees this car, like, w- one, of, one of these rooms they walk into, there's, like, a car that's, like, burning on fire. And, um, you know, someone who's, like, calling out to Poppy. And it's something from his past, apparently. And it pulls him in and, and like, kills him. And then Benji, at some point, like, gets pushed down into, like, this well by a woman that, um, you know, was kind of creeping around in the background. Um, I don't know. Did you find any of these scares uh, or any of these kills scary at all? Yeah, I mean, I think this movie was effectively scary. Mm -hmm. What did did you think? Yeah, I I thought it was, like, definitely creepy, like, while they're down there and, and, like, the visuals that you're seeing of these figures and... um, the, you know, the burning car, and, and then eventually when they walk into that room and there's, like, a, 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 a that, that hooded figure that they see, I, I think those are kind of uh, scary, I guess, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was yeah. a lot of pop-out scares, but more just, like, visually scary. What, what was your take? Yeah, there were some creepy visual scares, but then there were, there were plenty of pop-outs, too, but um, I don't mind pop-outs every once in a while. Yeah, I prefer them sometimes. They're nice. Yeah. Yeah. Adds to the overall tension. Yeah, exactly. So, it, so you know, so some of them are getting killed now, and so you're left with three of them at the end, uh, who are like way down deep in the catacombs. And you know, as the viewer, you know, like they're basically in hell at this point. And they're in this room where like there's some demons walking around. 
there's this guy with a hood on him, which I think, according to Dante's Inferno, is supposed to be Satan. Uh, I'm not sure if... Did, did you read that anywhere? Yeah, that's apparently Satan. Yeah, and he's just, like, kind of sitting on, like, this wooden chair and then just kind of walking around. Pretty pretty scary. Um, at some point, uh, you know, they, they get attacked. George is, like, injured. Um, Scarlet realizes that the stone that she has isn't actually the Philosopher's Stone, and so uh, she runs back up to where they found it, and she, like, brushes off this, uh, you know, some dirt off the thing she found it on, and there's a mirror and I guess she like figures out that like the sorcerer's stone now uh, isn't that stone she's holding, but it's within her. Is it, did did I get that right? Yeah, you did. Except you said the sorcerer's stone instead of philosopher's. Oh yeah, stone. sorry. The philosopher's <laughs> you got stone. your Harry Potter hat on again. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the philosopher's stone. It wasn't this thing that was in her hand. It was actually her the whole time. Which I I, I don't know how that happened. Did did that make sense to you? Yeah. Apparently, like you are the philosopher's stone. Like if you believe in yourself. Oh. That's that's pretty uplifting. I don't mind that. <laughs> yeah. So so anyone can be the philosopher's stone. Yeah, if you put your mind to it, buddy. Wow, that's 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 really inspiring. I feel a lot better now. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so she runs back to the. You're group. done with this podcast now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> better things. I know. I gotta get on. To, get on to something else. Uh, so she runs back to the group. Um, and she, you know, she's like had this realization that she's the philosopher's stone, I guess. And she's like, all right, to get out of here, we got to jump down this huge pit, but we all have to kind of, you know, uh, uh um, I don't know, like, uh, call out like the things that we're feeling guilty for are the demons that haunt us or something, or, or like, you know, bring them to light and face them and then jump down. And so they do that and, you know, they jump down this dark pit and basically, uh, at the bottom, there's like a manhole and they open it and it pops up and they're back out on the streets of Paris. Um, yeah, and and I guess the three of them make it out alive. So yeah, and then like the one dude who doesn't know them as well just kind of like walks away from them. Yeah, he just kind of like wanders away. Did you find away. that odd? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. Like after you went through all that with those people, and you're like the only three survivors, you're like, all right, see you around. <laughs> like, walk home uh, yeah. by yourself. I'll catch you guys next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I took it that, like, he was just, like, even given what they'd been through, like, he was just so traumatized that he, I don't know, maybe he went mad at the end or something. But, yeah, it was just kind of random that he just, like, walks away. Also, it didn't occur to me until just now, but who filmed that part? Oh, of them coming out? Yeah. That's a good point, because you think when they would have jumped all the way down, uh, all the cameras would have smashed too, right? I think then it switches to the, the like all-seeing eye. That's the camera from any movie. That's a really good point. That that's some that's a pretty significant like inconsistency there. Because yeah, I, I doubt like one of them is like walking out of that manhole into the streets of Paris, like still like focused on getting the footage down. Yeah. Okay, you two hug and then you walk away. Yeah, Go. I'm gonna capture some aerial shots of this scene. <laughs> Get the big picture. That's man. That's kind of cheating, you know. If if you're gonna come out with a found footage film and then break the barrier like that at the end i don't know fraud uh, yeah yeah so uh you thought the film was scary overall i do think it was maybe creepy i'd call it yeah uh i didn't find it full-blown scary and that is i think interior was scarier yeah yeah i thought so too um you know you know one thing i think where this movie struggled 
is uh, backstory of the characters are getting you bought into them. Yes. Uh, and it, it, it tried, like, it would, like, drop, like, a line, like, oh, our weekend in Turkey was the best, or, um, oh, yeah, my brother, you know, passed away when I was younger, and I, I think there were, like, really, like, there were, like, really, like, obvious ways they tried to, like, throw in, like, two lines to give character development, which felt kind of cheap at that point. Yeah, I, don't, I can't tell if that was written poorly or just the found footage aspect of it made it just clunky, but, mm-hmm. or it was poor acting but yeah it just did not land and I didn't care about any of these characters and there were also too many like when people died I was like who was that again yeah 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 that like was it necessary to go in there with like a group of six like you could have paired that down to like there were definitely like some unnecessary people in this yeah yeah like two of the characters like the the woman and there's one other dude the names I don't even remember I think they were the first two deaths I literally like forgot they were there because yeah. the camera isn't on them right because you don't have the all-seeing camera so you you almost never see them yeah 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 that's a good point you know found footage i feel like you're working with such a limited technology and like viewpoints that like introducing more characters than you need just like pulls away from the story like you should probably minimize like blair witch project uh you know taking a deborah logan um you know some paranormal activity those these all focus on like really small groups of people and in this yep. one, you did have like some unnecessary cast members in this. Yeah, you got to go bare bones. Like, I do think the found footage benefited the movie in sense of like the claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Part of me wonders if this would have been a better movie if it wasn't found footage. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would have killed it. Um, but yeah, they definitely could have done some different stuff. Uh, maybe should, uh, you know, maybe even layered on the claustrophobia somehow through other means. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I see what they were going after with giving that trapped feeling. Because I, I think as a viewer, you definitely feel that as you're watching this. Like, you have nowhere to go but down. Yeah. I also feel like they could have dialed back on the Da Vinci Code aspect of it. Like, that <laughs> stuff wasn't that interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was like a good, what, like half hour, 40 minutes of... Yeah, I mean, it did take a lot of... Like, the first act where you could have been growing attached to the characters, you kind of were, like, going through these puzzles. Yeah. That really didn't wow you. I don't know if they were meant to or not. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, every time they found a new clue, they would take five minutes or so to... Right. She she would, like, slip into tour guide mode. Yeah. (laughs) It was, like, really corny, clunky exposition. Yeah, at times it felt like a history lecture more than a scary movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that, that that's a I I never seen that kind of genre brought into the the horror film area. So that's that's really interesting to see them try to do that. But I agree, like it becomes more like puzzle solving or like detective work, and that's not like the feeling that you really want in a horror film. Yeah, yeah, I think it just it was all time and energy that could have been spent on other things. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then uh, do you feel like I I see like a lot of people out there were confused about the ending. I don't feel like it was very clear, and you know, a lot of like articles, like what happened at the end. Um, when you watched this, like, were you confused at all, or did you feel like it was pretty clear? I felt like it was pretty clear that they like confessed their sins and like got out by going, I guess, out the bottom. But what about you? I I didn't realize there was a way you could escape hell. I mean, that, that was a new concept for me. Um, and yeah, I, I I guess like the escape made sense, but uh, the philosopher's stone portion and like. What she realized when she ran back up to that treasure room, uh, that didn't make too much sense to me. But I mean, I guess if anyone's a philosopher's stone, then that's that's pretty easy. That that kind of 
Like, why were they down there then? Yeah, it wasn't much of a climax. Yeah, yeah. Like, because they set up all this Da Vinci Code-esque stuff, and then the resolution of that was just like, oh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess. You're the philosopher's stone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't quite the payout that, that uh, I would have expected. Yeah. I remember you said this in our House on Haunted Hill episode that you felt like it was like going through a haunted house, like a haunted attraction. Oh, yeah, right. I really felt like that in this movie. They were just like super scared by something in one room and then they'd like dutifully shuffle into the next room and get scared and then yeah, like every room was something different. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, every room was like a new set of like villains or scares that were popping up. Um, and you know, I, I liked how they showed uh, Satan in it. Like like that guy like just with like a, a dark hood like in the background. Uh, just, I mean, you know, not like a pop out scare, but just like this really ominous figure in the background. I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. There were some effectively creepy moments. Yeah. Yeah. Some good, good visuals. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. How many, uh, dead children in the water would you give this one? Oh God. Uh, two and a half dead children in the water. It was just average to me. Yeah. Yeah, that I I think I'm right there with you. I'd probably give it a. I think I'd give it a two, because uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think you're right. Good visually, but story wise, uh, I think it'd have been a little meatier. Yep. Um, anything else jump out to you about it? No, that's it. I thought maybe you'd rank it higher than me because I feel like sometimes you are more into the scares. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. If it had like one or two more pop out scares, I would have given it a four. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, but it's it's a yeah, it's a, it's a decent watch. Not too bad. Cool. Great. All right. Well, that's it for our episode today, folks. We hope you enjoyed our discussion about As Above, So Below. If you want to join the discussion, we encourage you to follow Horror Movie Club podcast on Facebook and Twitter, or at Horror Movie Pod on Twitter, or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. Check out Facebook, Twitter for next week's movie in case you want to watch it before the next episode. And let us know what you thought of As Above, So Below if you've seen it. Uh, you know, leave us a comment. Uh, and as always, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. Give us a review um, on iTunes or any of the platforms that we're on. Um, our logo is by Amy Mae Pop Art, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're watching Harry Potter and are curious how to go about getting that Sorcerer's Stone, uh, maybe just think it doesn't exist or something rather than setting all your friends on a death hunt. <laughs> But look within yourself first. Yeah, that's it. Look within yourself. <laughs> <laughs>